Welcome to Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen. Celebrate food and life by learning about the culinary scene around the world. Speaking with chefs, artists and food makers, farmers, authors and tastemakers who are passionate about everything delicious. A very good weekend to you food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio and a very happy Hanukkah to those that celebrate. Tonight, Sunday night, marks the first night of Hanukkah this year. And so I wish you delicious, crispy latkes and a beautiful menorah and a wonderful celebration with family and friends to all those that celebrate and to my mom and my family, a very happy Hanukkah. Cooking is a little like learning different languages. Being a chef has taught me a lot about people and cultures. It has given me the dramatic and very humble position to cook for and love and care for people in so many different settings. It teaches me to respect the planet and all of its ingredients, and I continue to thrive on that discovery, take on those challenges, and find the poetry in moments. The art is in the details, and on this show, we celebrate food and the role that it plays in our lives. So I hope that you'll tune in every weekend and explore with me, because this is a place for people who love to eat, and it is my goal to make your dishes come alive with flavor and to feed your soul. I talk food and health, wellness, wine, cocktails, trends, tech, a little fitness to keep in shape, and (laughs) it's my goal to fuel your hunger and to satiate your appetite. And there is delicious conversation all throughout this hour. So if you missed a show, you can find podcasts on iTunes under Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen, and my website at chefjamie.com will make you a better cook. And of course, I do hope that you will become a friend and a fan and follow on social on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And with that said, let's dig in. Happy winter, by the way. A warm welcome to a month of holidays, right? I happen to love this season. And right around this time, I start thinking of gifts of food that I can spoil my friends and family with at the holidays. Like my double chocolate mocha cookies that are so rich and fudgy, you just can't stop eating them. Or mason jar mixes for dump and bake goodness in a moment. How about homemade Kahlua, which everyone loves? It sits under your kitchen sink in the cabinet for about a month, so you'll need to start now. And then I transfer it to beautiful bottles, and I adorn them with a ribbon, and they make the ultimate hostess gift. Or how about making a batch of preserved lemons to give to your food fanatic friends this holiday season? Now that is impressive. Fresh lemons are a workhorse in my kitchen. They find their way into everything from marinades to lemon cakes to lemonade to chicken to lemon parmesan broccoli and more. There's something about that beautiful bright acid that I love. And I tell a story about having an opportunity many years ago to have staged in Charlie Palmer's kitchen where he added a drop of lemon juice to every dish that left the line or the kitchen on its way to the dining room. It added that, as the French say, the je ne sais quoi, the I can't put my finger on it, but gosh, that's good. A little bit of acid to offset the richness and You hear a lot about beautiful lemon varieties like Meyer lemons and the seedless that are available year-round from Melissa's now, but more and more, we're talking about preserved lemons. 
If you have made some or bought some, how are you using them? Do you know that they pack a punch that is so lemony and so umami and so fabulous that you really should be incorporating them into a multitude of dishes? Well, if you didn't, here is the quick lowdown on the beauty of preserved lemons because they really are fabulous and therefore so much more than just a tagine. Now, preserved lemons add that fermented quality to a dish that a regular lemon would not. And if you've jumped on the fermenting bandwagon, then you love the tangy, salty, umami bomb of flavor. They add a big flavor punch. It's that extra something in the background of a dish that enlivens the palate. So what is this lemon that is more than a lemon? Well, originally lemons were preserved for the same reason all things are preserved, to store and eat them past their season. And we can actually trace the roots of preserved lemons back to their earliest recipe reference. It's in the 12th century and over the past thousand years. These salt-cured lemons have made their way a journey north and west, joining the cuisines of Israel and Turkey, India, Iran. Preserved lemons were likely introduced to American audiences in the mid-1970s through Paula Wolfert's James Beard Hall of Fame cookbook called Couscous and Other Good Food from Morocco. Yet, despite making their way into American cookery more than 40 years ago now, they really have kept their sort of aura of exoticism in the U.S. You find them in traditional preparations like a Moroccan chicken tagine, and then in some Indian curries and stews, but they really should be more places. Now, preserved lemons have a wealth of health benefits. Check this out. Lemons are high in vitamin C and potassium. Studies have shown that regular moderate intake of the soluble pectin fiber, which is found predominantly in the peel, can lower cholesterol and decrease your risk of heart disease and diabetes. And that's any lemon, by the way. There is also something called limonene, which is a type of phytochemical concentrate in citrus fruit. And I did my research. Limonene is currently being studied for anti-carcinogenic properties to prevent the growth of cancer cells. So you've got that going for you, right? Eat more lemons. Now, you can likely buy a jar of preserved lemons that are ready to eat at your local gourmet grocer or your specialty housewares store. They're not so cheap, by the way, but you can easily make them yourself. And I mean super simple. You just need a little bit of time and some patience. The method calls for nothing more than lemons and salt. And I happen to add a touch of sugar for sweetness because I like to offset the acid and the salt. And so here's what you do. You start with a handful of lemons. You cut each into six wedges and you toss them with preferably kosher salt to coat. I add a bit of sugar and you refrigerate them in the bowl covered overnight. And the next day, the lemons will have released a bunch of liquid and you transfer the wedges to canning jars. And if you're gifting, use smaller jars. And if you're storing for yourself, use a larger jar. Press the lemons down to ensure that they're submerged because you're going to pour that liquid from the bowl over the lemons. They should be completely covered in liquid. Then you seal the jar 
tightly and you store it in a cool place for a few weeks or longer. Now, you can store in the refrigerator and I recommend you do if you're going to keep them for quite some time. Preserved lemons are actually one of those things that get better with age. And the result of the lemon is this texture that is soft and the flavor that is deep and this wonderful velvety peel with an intense lemony character. Now, the preserved lemons will last in the back of your fridge for about up to a year. And to make use of the preserved lemons, what should you do? Well, you swap out regular lemons for preserved ones in your go-to recipes like perfect roast chicken or roasted salmon. For an easy weeknight meal, I like to toss pasta rather. See, that made me hungry. Toss pasta with some really good olive oil and a little toasted garlic or even roasted garlic and chopped up preserved lemon peel. And then you could always impress your friends at a holiday brunch by chopping up some of that preserved lemon peel to garnish a yogurt parfait. Ooh, how fancy. You should add them to potato salad or guacamole or farro salad. How about a preserved lemon peel twist for your martini? Ooh, cheers to that. Here's the thing. You can rinse the preserved lemons once they are totally fermented or preserved if you want to reduce the salt intake, if salt is your concern. I do mine. But the flavor packs the most powerful, brilliant umami bomb punch, as I said, and there is really nothing like it. So you never know, preserved lemons might just become your newest favorite condiment. And if you'd like my recipe for making preserved lemons at home, please email me, jamie at chefjamie.com, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com, and happy pucker preserving to you. And please don't touch your dial. There's lots more culinary inspiration coming up. She is the PBS cooking show host we have adored for almost three decades. Marianne Esposito is here and she's sharing her best Italian dishes coming up next. Also, before the end of the hour, wouldn't it be nice if life was less complicated? Well, Claire Tanzi has found an easier way to cook almost everything, and she's stopping by. I'm Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Does food speak to you? I believe that food tells a story, and Marianne Esposito's story is a glorious one. She has Italian soul. Legions of loyal fans of Marianne Esposito's groundbreaking PBS cooking show called Ciao Italia, which we love, have enjoyed cooking with and learning from the beloved television personality for almost three decades now. 
Her 13th cookbook has just released a collection of 160 authentic Italian dishes and personal pictures and travel stories from Marianne's archives, published, by the way, as the companion to her 2019 PBS series soon to release. Ciao Italia shares the glorious food and the deeply rooted culinary culture of Italy through Marianne Esposito's eyes. From sassy spaghetti alla puttanesca from Naples, my favorite, and the most delicious chocolate cookies from Sicily, Marianne really shares her heart and soul in this book and her incredible talent in the 12 books that preceded it as well, I must say. But I am always delighted to have her back on the show to share. And I am very glad to have you, Marianne. Welcome. Thank you, Jamie. It's so good to be back with you again. I always love talking food with anyone, but especially (laughs) now with you. Well, thank thank you. you. Yes, of course. And congratulations to you. Kudos. This has been a, a really extraordinary journey for you. Uh, I don't think that you're given enough credit for paving the way for chefs in the media. Um, And I think that what you have stood for and the passion that you have shown, which by the way, just bleeds from the pages of this book, um, is really a, a, a testament to the fact that you have a love affair with everything Italian and you have inspired it in all of us. Well, there is Two words for that, what you just said in Italian is called bendetto. Well said. Well, thank (laughs) you. (laughs) Yes, I do have a passion for anything Italian, so I'm drawn to it like a magnet, really. (laughs) Yes, for sure. And you've always stood on the philosophy and the premise that your ingredients are the bedrock of great Italian regional cooking, but they count and never more so than today, right? Absolutely, because people are astounded when I tell them that you can make a recipe with very few ingredients as long as the quality of those ingredients is superior. I mean, I remember in one of my books, the five-ingredient cookbook, I had a recipe for um, Italian sausage with grapes, and I actually got a complaint from somebody on email who said, how can a recipe only have two ingredients? <laughs> mm. But the answer is it can if you're using quality ingredients, not the quantity, it's the quality. Yes. And that has always been the benchmark of how to define Italian regional cooking. It's regional, it's artisanal, um, it's, it's, it's pure in its real state. So it's, there's not a lot of fooling around with right. the ingredients manipulating them in any way. For instance, like a prosciutto di parma. When you talk about a prosciutto di parma, you're talking about a cured ham that only has one ingredient, really, besides the ham, and that's salt. So there are many, many uh, wonderful artisanal Italian products to stand on their own. Yes. Mm. Isn't that a testament to the beauty of the flavor of Mm -hmm. Italian cuisine. I love that you tell personal stories and that the photos are from your travel archives in this new book release, Ciao Italia. And I loved the San Marzano story because to me, I want to know where my food comes from and Mm -hmm. what a San Marzano tomato really is. I mean, we should be paying so much for a can and we're not. But when you know the story, you savor the ingredient. I have told people 
through my travels and on television in the televised cooking segments about the real ingredients that Italians use. And San Marzano tomatoes, as you point out, is a perfect example of this because people use that, that name like you use Kleenex for a tissue. You right. know, if it's a tissue, it's a Kleenex. <laughs> yes. Or if it's a plum tomato, it's not necessarily a San Marzano. But people think that San Marzano, plum tomato, that's it. However, I made a trip uh, to Striano, which is outside of Naples, to see how San Marzano tomatoes are actually grown and processed. Because a San Marzano tomato is a DOP product. And this is another way Italians uh, show us that they are very, very conscious of growing foods that are pure. DOP in Italian stands for Denominazione Origine Protetta. In other words, that product, and in this case, the San Marzano tomato, has to come from a specific geographic area, which is the area of San Marzano. That's why it has the name, a San Marzano tomato. So it has to be grown in San Marzano, and it has to abide by certain rules and regulations that are set down by a consortium that oversees the production of these tomatoes. And you know you're getting the real San Marzano when you look on a can, mm-hmm. and it says San Marzano DOP. If it doesn't have those letters DOP, then you know that it isn't a true San Marzano. Hmm. And you'll also recognize that it's a true San Marzano on the can by seeing the European Union label, the little round yellow circle, which, te- which verifies that this, in fact, is a product coming from where it says it's coming from. Right. Otherwise, when you go to the store and you buy something that's labeled San Marzano, it doesn't say DOP. It doesn't mm-hmm. have that little circle of uh, from the EU. You know that 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 is not a true San Marzano. Right. But it's doing your homework. This is the thing to really uh, approximate the flavors that you find in Italy. You you've got to come as close as you can to using the products that that are there. Now you're not going to get every product from Italy and things that you make at home, but you can come very close. Yes. And San Marzano tomatoes are a perfect example because you can find those in your grocery store. I think it's a, a wonderful reminder and a true lesson to the fact that, as you alluded to, if you're making a recipe with four or five ingredients then use the best quality that you can find and afford. And we know that that DOP designation means that those tomatoes are strictly regulated and that you are going to get the sweetest, reddest, juiciest, most delicious tomato. And I remember from my travels in Italy, in Italy, the tomato tastes like a tomato and the figs taste like figs. And there's just, I mean, that culinary memory is indelible to me. Mm. If you're going to make spaghetti alla puttanesca, which I I love a puttanesca, Marianne. I really do. I love the... There's a good recipe for it in this book. Yes, I know. I love the briny, spicy, acidic, beautifully balanced sauce. Then you use... San Marzano. So I I think uh, there is just a a wonderful weaving of stories through the book that reinforce the practices that you have taught us for so many years. Maryam, we need to take a quick break. Please pause there. More authentic Italian dishes from Marianne Esposito's kitchen right after this.
Welcome back and a very happy holiday season to you. We're dishing Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. PBS cooking show host of Chow Italia, Marianne Esposito is here. Can we cook? Because I, I'm slobbering over the pages of Chow what Italia. Like? What would you like to cook? I would like, because as the weather gets colder, I crave the soul comfort of soup. And so yeah. I would like to make supa di pomodoro, porro e riso. Okay. So All right. So di pomodoro, uh, porro e riso is a soup with tomato and rice. And leeks, which I love, bring out that sweetness. You talk about it being your all-time, one of your all-time favorites, I should say, but so simple in its preparation. Exactly. You know, and, and again, it, it, I understand that when I wrote this book, I'm thinking about ingredients that most people can find, and I, I understand that. And so when I suggest a, a porro, which is uh, leeks, um, I'm a, I am assuming that most people can find leeks in their grocery store, but there may be instances where people can't find these things, in, in which case you could just use onions. I always have said in writing these books that these are, these are guides for you, mm-hmm. but you are, you are certainly at liberty to make some substitutions. If you see an ingredient that maybe you can't find or you want to make a substitution, that's perfectly fine. Mm-hmm. But this is a good example of a, just a simple soup that is very flavorful. It doesn't take a, a lot of ingredients. It's easy to prepare. And, um, and what else can you say about it? It's delicious. Yes, and I would think that it's one of those, I mean, like so many great dishes, one of those pots of goodness that just gets better with time, Mary Ann. So it makes the ultimate leftover, right? So that oh. you can sip soup for days. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. Oh. Can't wait and to and in, that, in that soup chapter, I also try to cover, like I don't like to repeat recipes from my other cookbooks. Hmm. I mean, I realize that there are some things that you have to repeat, like, for instance, if you're going to make a good broth. Yes. You know, you really should have that as part of a, a, a soup chapter. But I also like to include a lot of new recipes, you know, recipes that have come from my travels uh, in Italy. One of them is the bean soup from Trieste. I don't know if you had a chance to look at that, but uh, this is uh, a bean soup from northeastern Italy. And a lot of people don't know this region, don't know this area, but they make some very hearty kinds of soups. And this soup is, has got uh, beans and it's got uh, herbs like thyme and rosemary, sage, it's got mm. um, potatoes. It's very hearty. It's mm. got sauerkraut because, you know, we're talking northern uh, Italy. Right. And it's just something that would be perfect for this time of year. And you can find all those ingredients. It uses canned sauerkraut, imagine. Yes, but I, I love the idea of the, the tang of the sauerkraut mm-hmm. offsetting the richness mm-hmm. of the beans. If you've mm-hmm. just tuned in, you're late because PBS legend... Marianne Esposito is here, uh, releasing the 28th, is it, series, season? season? Unbelievable, Marianne, of Ciao Italia on your local PBS station. The new book companion for the 2019 series has released called Ciao Italia, My Lifelong Food Adventures in Italy. And it is like taking the most glorious tour of the boot 
with Marianne by your side. Um, can we talk scatters, please, Marianne? There's all, there's all these wonderful tips in the book. The scatters in sage butter sauce. These You mean the frascarelli. Yes, frascarelli. And all this is, is it's a just flour and then beaten egg. <clears throat> and excuse me, you scatter the beaten egg over a mound of flour. And then you just kind of gather, gather the little pieces up and you put them in a sieve and shake out the excess flour. So now the flour that has clung to the eggs makes these little, little scatters, little beads like. And you simply cook uh, as if you were cooking a pasta, a regular pasta in boiling water. And then you make this beautiful sage, fresh sage leaves, obviously, and uh, unsalted butter. And it's, it's typical of Sardinian cooking. And it's mm. so simple. You have butter, sage, eggs, and flour. And you, you talk about it in like uh, reference to regards to pastina, which I love. Pastina in chicken broth to me is like Jewish penicillin, right? I yeah. mean, that, that, is, yeah. that is the ultimate cure-all. And yeah. anything texturally like that is so appealing. I love the dichotomy, Marianne, that you cook by as well. Cherishing those old school traditions, but appreciating a modern approach and mm-hmm. I, I, I was surprised, I should say, and delighted uh, that you make a pasta dinner in one pot because I do the same. I add raw pasta mm-hmm. to a pot with copious amounts of flavor and liquid and tomatoes and all that good stuff and the pasta cooks. But I wouldn't have imagined that you would embrace such a modern technique and I love that you have. The reason I, I did is because, you know, I am pretty much a traditionalist. But the reason I, I did is because I realize where people are going today. They have no time to cook. It, I mean, that is the, the strangest thing about cooking shows in general, I think, that mm. people love to watch them, but they really don't get in the kitchen to do a lot of it. So this pasta dinner in one pot, I thought, well, you know, that would be a time saver for a lot of people. And it is a different technique, you know, where you put, you know, no one in Italy would have thought of this 10 years ago to do this because this, of course, wasn't the traditional way to, to cook pasta. But, but, you know, it actually works. So It does. I, yeah, and so I, I included it in the book because, as you say, I want to stay relevant, too. And, and I appreciate that you do. Um, I will tell you, those who are listening to this show and very passionate food lovers do cook. And so we embrace your recipes. I want to make ricotta cheese sauce. I have, I've always included it in a lasagna, in a filling, in, I mean, I, I love ricotta, but as a sauce, as a standalone, how simply beautiful. I tell you that you can um, either make your own ricotta cheese, which I've done many times on our show, and it's a, such a simple procedure, really yes. simple. And then all you're really doing is making some uh, lemon zest, mm. some grated Parmigiano-Reggiano, and some salt and some black pepper to uh, the, the ricotta. And then you're cooking, you're, uh, you whisk this all together, in a, you know, to give it kind of like a, a creamy consistency. And then you, you cook the pasta and you reserve some of that cooking water, as we all know we should do because of the starch. Yes. And then you add that to the ricotta cheese and to the pasta, and you mix everything over low heat, and it just becomes this most wonderful, creamy sauce. And, it, and it's, 
I wanted to include because I don't want people to think that all sauces in Italy are tomato. There are many, many mm. kinds of different sauces, and this is a good example of that. Yes, and it, it's not a, a three-hour, four-day-in-advance oh, no. requirement. Oh, it's no. a last-minute sort of feed-your-heart-and-soul a simple, decadent dish. I will tell you for the holidays, Marianne, I cannot wait to make your fig and balsamic glazed pork butt. I think I went on to a, a balsamic vinegar uh, a trek through this yes. book because I, uh, there's several recipes that have it, including there's a wonderful um, dried plum tart that also has a balsamic uh, uh, glaze. Nice. Uh, with it that's very good but yes the the pork butt is this is again i was trying to think of things where people didn't have time so a pork butt is one of those it's a shoulder roast often also called a boston butt right and this is the kind of meat that's got a lot of fat with it it's a it's a tougher cut of meat so it needs a lot of slow cooking so it's perfect for those people who want to fix and forget it so you make this, you, you do a rub on this roast. You are cooking it in a in a, a low oven after you sear it. You're mm. adding this uh, fig and balsamic uh, sauce to it as it cooks. Mm. And I can tell you that it is just, it is a marvelous dish. It really is. And it's inexpensive. Marianne Esposito's nationally televised PBS show called Ciao Italia is America's longest-running continuous cooking show. And a bevy of lauded organizations have recognized Marianne for her efforts to preserve Italian food and cultural traditions. Her new cookbook once again demonstrates her dedication to teaching and preserving Italian cuisine with an elevated modern approach so that you can make glorious Italian dishes in your kitchen and savor them. And you should add this book to your collection. The book is called Ciao Italia. Marianne, delicious holidays to you. Please come back again soon and congratulations on the 2019 PBS series. Well, thanks so much, Jamie. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. It's always my thrill. As the delicious conversation continues, we do have the greatest culinary thinkers on this show. So grab a snack and come on back. I'm starving. Don't touch your dial. There's more fabulous food in your radio right after this. Seasons eatings to you. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio. Wouldn't it be nice if life was less complicated? Well, Claire Tansy has found an easier way to cook almost everything. So if you love to cook, but you're short on time, Claire makes comfort food classics that don't take more time than necessary. Claire Tansy is an accomplished chef, a busy working mom, and she's just smart. Her cookbook, Uncomplicated, takes the stress out of cooking, and it's just released, and I am delighted that she is here to dish. Very glad to have you, Claire. Happy holidays. Thanks, and to you. <laughs> well, so happy to be you. here. Yeah, delighted. Um, I love the way you cook. You and I cook very similarly in that 
comfort food approach and you pride yourself on simplicity, which I love, but your dishes really shine. So share your food philosophy to lay the groundwork, please. Well, the thing for me is that cooking doesn't have to be difficult to be delicious. Mm. And that through thousands of generations, humans have been feeding themselves um, from the simple food that we can get nearby. So in the modern world, that's not necessarily like grubs and berries that you can find on the bushes. It's what ingredients are in my pantry, what ingredients are at my local grocery store that I don't have to shop all day for, that I can turn into a simple, delicious meal that Mm -hmm. my family and I can enjoy. Yes, and I'm all about that too. You and I share a love for lentils, and we'll get to lentil soup, but just recently, I found a, a package of pre-cooked lentils actually that I love they're steamed and in the package and I threw together a lentil garbanzo bean salad I had a maple balsamic vinaigrette made from the night before tossed it all together and that is exactly what you're speaking to which is my pantry came to the rescue that's right and and don't don't feel afraid of your pantry let your pantry work for you and remember that like you just said lentil and garbanzo bean salad with last night's dressing Sure, it may not be on a an on a award-winning dish on a competition show, but it's delicious and it was cheap and easy to make exactly. and satisfying to you and I'm sure so many different ways. And it had chopped fresh herbs from the garden and yeah. I don't know if I put a poached egg on top of it and some frizzled leeks, it might win a competition okay, cooking all show. Right, all right, we're getting there. You know, <laughs> yeah, a little room for improvement, you know. Um all right, let's cook. Um because I've marked every page in your book. <laughs> And I'm not sure we'll get to all of it. Can we start at breakfast? You make, Of course, it's the best place to start. Yes, no doubt. You make scrambled eggs for a crowd. I thought we'd pair them with roasted maple cayenne bacon. I'd come to your house anytime. Yes. Yeah. Well, you know, I love hosting brunch. Mm. Um, and certainly after I had a baby, it's just, and all of my friends had their babies, it seemed easier to host a brunch, right? You can invite children. Um, it's just a lot less stressful. That's smart. But when you think about the most stressful dish on earth to make, it would be something like poached eggs for eight different people. Um, so I thought, well, you got to have eggs, um, but how can you do it so that the eggs, um, you know, they don't stress you out. You're not making them at the last minute when you're also trying to make the coffee and butter the toast and etc. So scrambled eggs for a crowd, we're talking about 16 eggs, just a bit of salt, a bit of cream, and they're really, really creamy and custardy, that really mm. European style of yes. soft, lovely eggs. And the they're secret flexible. here, they are flexible. As you say, they can sit. I figured out your secret is this drizzle of cream over the top <laughs> that yes. keeps them wet and moist so that yeah. when you mix them to serve them, you still get that mouthfeel that we're all looking for. And that's what I love about the way you cook is there's there's a hidden secret in That's each it. recipe. And that comes from a kind of a lifetime of, I mean, I worked in restaurants. Um, I've been eating my whole life, you know, as we mm. all have. But I've been really eating carefully all my whole life and, <laughs> and trying every single night, every breakfast, lunch, and dinner to make things easier, faster, and more delicious. So that's actually my dad's old trick with the cream. Mm. Um, my dad made, all, you know, all of three dishes. Uh, <laughs> you know, and one of them was scrambled eggs. But he made these amazing eggs, and they were really slow cooked. Mm. And when they were ready, he would add the cream because, well, we know what it's like at brunch. Everybody's got to sit down. And yes. Do is the butter on the table and of all course. that stuff. Of course, sure, no doubt. Uh, roasted maple cayenne bacon. Three ingredients. A bacon yep. on a sheet pan. Brilliant. I, I do it too. So anybody who's already kind of been converted to cooking bacon on a sheet pan knows that 
it's easier, it's less dangerous, nobody gets hit by flying bacon fat. It doesn't mess up your cooktop. Your bacon comes out flat. Um, a little bit of cayenne and a little bit of maple syrup on mm. your bacon just takes it to the next level. Nice. So um, it, it's a favorite, and you can kind of spice it up in a bunch of different ways, but that is my personal flavor combination. Chocolate fudge layer cake, the first recipe I will be making out of uncomplicated, taking the stress out of home cooking. Uh, this is really a beautiful book. Congratulations to you. And I think it's timely, and I think it's inspiring being that Claire Tansy proves cooking, as she said, does not have to be difficult to be delicious. These and many more genius recipes featured in Uncomplicated, available now on Amazon and in fine bookstores everywhere. You can follow Claire Tansy's culinary adventures at Tansy Claire, T-A-N-S-E-Y-C-L-A-I-R-E, at Tansy Claire. Uh, I can't wait to cook from the book, as I said, Claire. Congratulations. And please come so back much. when you have more new recipes on your plate. You got it. Anytime. Bye. And so that hour of delicious conversation gave you something to chew on, right? I hope that it was filled with fabulous food for you, too, and that you will continue to email me your cooking questions and holiday queries at jamie at chefjamie.com, J-A-M-I-E at chefjamie.com, and that you'll venture to social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen, where you will find this recipe. It's my last bite, my last ounce or tidbit of fabulous food for the hour. It's for coconut lovers or for the office Christmas cookie swap or for a holiday potluck. A two-ingredient wonder deliciously dipped in or drizzled with dark chocolate that's crispy on the outside and chewy on the inside and amazingly simple and scrumptious. I have a two-ingredient coconut macaroon made with flaked coconut and sweetened condensed milk that, if I may say myself, is brilliant. And once again, I'll share the recipe right now on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Chef Jamie Gwen. And I will meet you here next weekend when there is lots more culinary conversation in your radio. I thank you for allowing me to feed your soul. I hope you have a good week and I'm signing off. I hope you continue as well to eat well. Well.